right, all right. Man, so glad you're here. All right, go ahead and take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 17 in, uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, let me give a shout out to some special folks. First of all, let me say hello to Leah. She is uh, in Marion, North Carolina. Thank you for tuning in. Ed and Donna from Texas, all right? I don't know if you're a Longhorn or Red Raider or an Aggie, but man, glad you're tuning in. Uh, we got uh, Andy from Weaverville and got Letha from Brevard, North Carolina. So thank you all for tuning in. I do want to say a special thank you or a special hello to our uh, friends from uh, Brevard. And um, thanks for tuning in today. As you know, we're in a transition for the next couple of months of transitioning into the Brevard campus. And uh, hopefully you got an email this week with some of the progress. If not, let, uh, let, your, uh, let some of the pastors there know and they will get that to you, all right? So here's where we are. We're in a uh, series, as you saw from the video, called The Chronicles of an Average Joe, all right? In our case, the average Joe is Peter, all right? Peter's average Joe. And we're doing this for about uh, four or five weeks. And the reason we call it average Joe is because Peter is very relatable. He is. I know you're like, he's not relatable. He's like up here. He's not, he's not like up here. When you see Peter, he's relatable to us because while he did have some victories, he certainly did. I mean, he's preached the first church sermon, if you will. Uh, he is the one that uh, God used to write, obviously, first and second Peter. He was the, you know, a leader in the early church, all that stuff. But man, he had some agony of defeat as well. Man, he talked when he should have been quiet. All right. He lost his temper when he should have stayed calm. All right. He was ashamed of the Lord when he should have been bold, all those things. And it's like, that's what I am. That's what I am. I oftentimes speak when I should be silent. I'm oftentimes not bold when I should be bold. Oftentimes, I don't know how to handle it when I do fail, just like we see in Peter's life. But here's what I want to do. I want to ask you a question today, just to kind of start off before we jump into what is arguably one of the two or three high points in all of the gospels. And here's the question. Have you ever had someone in your life? And, and maybe that's now. Have you ever had someone in your life and you really, really, really wanted to take the relationship from where it was to a deeper level and they wouldn't go with you? I mean, you were falling for them, but it was pretty obvious they were not falling for you. Now, they were nice and they were polite, but make no mistake, they were distant. It wasn't going the way you thought it should go in the way you wanted it to go. And this can span tons of, tons of relationships. Maybe you go back to high school or college and it's that person that's like, man, I really like them. I really want to ask them out. I really want this relationship to go to a deeper level. And they just wouldn't go there. Uh, maybe it's you're uh, an a you have adult kids and you want to have a closer relationship with them than you do. And for whatever reason, there's just distance there and there's not the transparency and the authenticity and the just enjoyment of being together as family. It's just not there. You want to go there, but they're just, they're just not having it. Maybe it's actually in your marriage now. And you're like, you know what? There was a day, there was a time when we would laugh together and simply being with each other was all that we needed. And now it's distant. I mean, we're together, but it's formal. It's not like it used to be. I got great news. First one is this, and believe it or not, and what I've been praying is that God would have this go from not just, not just head knowledge, but it would actually go from here to heart knowledge. And that is that God wants to have that kind of relationship with you. The God of the universe wants to have that kind of relationship with you. As a matter of fact, that is the longing of every human heart. Every person in your family, every person you see on the street, whether they can articulate it or not, 
that personal relationship with the God who made them, that we were made by him and for him. Everybody wants that, even if we can't say exactly what it is. The philosopher Pascal, he put it this way, he says, there's a God-shaped vacuum, a God-shaped cavity in every heart that only God can fill. And God wants to have that, and you can have that back. Second thing is this, is that you are as close to God today. You're as close to God as you want to be. You are as close to God as you want to be. Maybe you are a Christ follower, and you know what? Your love for God has just kind of gotten distant. It's a little bit cold. It's not like it used to be. It used to be, I mean, just being with him and reading his word and being in church and all that stuff. And COVID has taken some, taken a toll on that. And you're like, you know what? It's not like it used to be. It's more drudgery than it is delight. And somehow, some way you kind of find yourself holding yourself back from really going all in with him. Way back, way back a long time ago before you had to have your seatbelt on, before seatbelts were mandatory. Think I'm a, I'm a kid of the 80s, and you know what? In the 80s, I think it was somewhere around the 80s, they said you have to put your seatbelt on. It is against the law if you don't. But before then, man, especially if you had a pickup, and you, you, if you saw somebody, if you were behind somebody, you could see if they were like super close, if you had a, like a boyfriend and a girlfriend, man, sometimes it just looked like a, like a two-headed monster. They were so close to each other. She was scooted over so close to him and what that was indicative of, of man, they're close. That relationship is going on right now. She is as close to him as she can possibly get. But if you also looked and you saw a pickup and she was like on one end or he was on one side of the pickup and the other person was on the other side of the pickup, you're like, man, something's wrong there. There's some distance there. That does not show that they are super close. You're like, man, I want that. I want that. You can have it back today. You can have that back today, that close relationship with God. You're like, well, how do I do that? The text today, as I said earlier, is one of the high points in the scriptures. It really, really is. It's called the transfiguration. It's actually one of the holy days, kind of like we do Christmas and Easter. It's one of the holy days in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Like this is such an important event. In the West, we've kind of gone by it. We're not sure what to make of it. But what we're gonna see is, uh, this shows us great ways that we can actually meet with God. We, see, you don't get close to somebody by accident. Okay, getting close with somebody is not incidental. Okay, if you want your marriage to be close, you want your relationship to be close, it's not gonna just happen. You've gotta be intentional about it. I've gotta go and spend some time with that person. Same way it is with God. And so today what I'm gonna do is we're gonna read a text. It's Matthew 8, 17, first eight verses. Let me walk through it and then I'm gonna give you a few principles and then I'm gonna actually lead us in a prayer, kind of a dedicatory prayer to say, you know what? It starts today. It starts today. It starts this week. So here we are, Matthew 17, verse one. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And real quick, Peter, James, and John are kind of like the inner circle, all right? When you look at Jesus, he had his 12, and then he had three that you see repeatedly. He would take them off, he would coach them. He was always doing that. And it's not because they were awesome. They weren't, they weren't awesome. As I said earlier, you know, Peter actually, the previous chapter, he's like, you know what? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus tells him what that's actually about. Peter's like, not you, not now, not this. And he's like, get behind me, Satan. So he gets called Satan. Peter's not awesome. God is awesome. Peter's not. James and John, does God use them? Absolutely. 
But if you look at another place, they actually go get their mom to go ask Jesus if they can be like the senior vice presidents on each side of Jesus, all right? They're not awesome. God is awesome. We are not awesome. But he takes them up to a mountain. Now, here's verse 2. This is one of those, this is why it's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, you're like, what does that mean? I don't really know. I don't know. The word transfigured is where we get a word metamorphosis from. Somehow, in some way, he, he, they recognized him, but they didn't recognize him. They're like, we, we recognize who you are, but man, you are very, very, very different. I love the way Tony Evans, a great preacher out of Dallas, he said, Jesus zipped down his humanity and revealed his deity. Jesus is deity. He's the God-man. And a lot of his deity had been veiled in human form. And he unzips that. It's like, you know what? You're going to get just a glimpse of my deity. Luke actually, in Luke's account of this, he calls it, they saw his glory. They saw his glory. The glory is a word we've talked about a whole bunch at our church, and glory is kind of a mega theme in the Bible. It's used over 300 times. But the hard part about glory is it's hard to kind of strain. You can even see the writer straining. He's like, what do I say it's like? All right, Matthew says he was kind of like the sun. Mark says he was like bleach. All right, Luke says it was like lightning. In other words, when you look at this, it's like the glory of God is his beauty. It's his weight. It's his prominence. It is his significance. John uses it later on in his gospel when he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. And then he says this, full of grace and truth. I mean, that's the glory of God, full of grace, full of grace. I love you. I will save you. I will forgive you. But truth, you know what? Uh, this is what God says, do this. And this is my standards. And this is the holiness of God. He's both and. Verse three, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, if you were a first century Jew at that point, when you hear the word Moses and Elijah, you would like go, because oh, oh, they were like the superheroes of the Old Testament. They were like the, the main characters of the Old Testament. Moses has been dead at this point for 1,400 years, Elijah for 900 years. The important part you need to understand is Moses was a picture of the law. He's a picture of the law. He wrote the, for most all the first five books of the Bible, talking about the law of God. Elijah was indicative of the prophets. You put them together, and what he's talking about is the entire old covenant. And one of the things we talk about over and over and over at our church is the whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Uh, I didn't grow up going to church much, but when I did go to church and then even early on in church, my misunderstanding of the Bible was in the old covenant, it was about all these heroes in the Bible, you know, have faith like an Abraham or be brave like a Daniel. All right. What I didn't understand is all of this, all 66 books, all right, all 30 authors over 1500 years, they're all pointing to or showing, listen, it's about Jesus. It's about the Messiah. I mean, Jesus said that. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what it is, the law shows us how sinful we are and that Jesus comes to live the life that we did not live. And then he then would die the death we deserve to die. And then we think of the prophets. The pro prophets command us, listen, you need to repent and believe 
in this Jesus. So Jesus says, you know what? I'm the fulfillment of that. Here's an easy way we sometimes think about it here is uh, this picture of, uh, you might not even recognize the first uh, picture here. This is actually uh, a sonogram, all right? This is a sonogram of Elsie Grace Frank, okay? So this sonogram, you can kind of, kind of tell, you know, here's her head, you know, she's got, you can kind of make out certain parts. Go to that next one real quick. And like this next one, this is like, shows her arms over her face, over here, somehow the doctor's able to say, you know what, the mouth is open. And I will just tell you, seeing those pictures as Carissa was pregnant was awesome. I mean, it builds such anticipation in us. We're like, this is awesome. Look at her, look at her develop. There's her nose, there's her arms. Look at the fingers. Look how all this stuff is developing in an amazing way. But I tell you what, as awesome as that is, as awesome as the pictures of what would be, as great as that was, I tell you what, when, when, when you see this right there, I mean, that, that, that's better. That's better. It's better, at least it's better for us, all right? Same baby, but better for us. We're able to say, that's awesome. She has arrived. And in some ways, that's exactly what you see when you see in the Bible. You're like, you know what? This is a picture, Old Testament picture, prophecy, shadow. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to come. And then the incarnation, Christmas, boom, he is here. That's what you're seeing here. So verse four, it says, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. Let me just stop there for a second. Sometimes it's just better to keep your mouth shut. I mean, okay, just picture this. Here's Peter. Peter is seeing a picture of the second person of the Godhead. And then you get Moses and Elijah. They're on this meeting. And the first words that come out of his mouth is, it is good that we are here. It's like, shut your mouth. It's not about you, Peter. Christians sometimes say the dumbest things, all right? It's like sometimes just be quiet. This will be a great time to just be quiet. It is good that we are here. Go back one. It is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, we don't know exactly why this is going on. Um, you know, maybe pro most commentators are like, well, he actually... Uh, He's kind of putting Moses and Elijah and Jesus all on the same level. And that's probably part of the teaching that God was having to do to them. Maybe it was just the fact, I mean, tent is the word for tabernacle. And he's, he's maybe he's like, man, I just, this is so awesome. I just want to stay here forever. So I just want to stay. I mean, maybe you've been in a part of a worship service like that. I mean, I've been at a bunch of worship services like that. It's like, this is so awesome. I feel so close to God. This is so amazing. I just, I just don't want to leave. And by the way, sometimes we have to remind ourselves that when we worship uh, corporately, when you worship God, that worship, God pours into you so that then you and I can then pour out to other people. So he pours into us when we're on the mountain. But if you see the very next scene, he goes into the valley and he's doing ministry to people who are hurting. So it's a great one to understand. God pours into me so I can then pour that out to other people. A couple more verses and then we'll go to some principles. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And if you underline in your Bible, you need to underline this phrase, listen to him, listen to him. And by the way, that should have jogged a memory to some of you. This is exactly what was said over him at his baptism as well. Last three verses. 
When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they, last word, when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Okay, so um, here's, what we gotta, here's what we wanna dig into. You might be going, you know what? My, it's not like it used to be with me and the Lord. Some of you are like, you know what? I've never had that personal relationship. I mean, I go to church, sure. But those of you understand, man, there was a time, there was a time when you had such joy. You couldn't even explain it. There was such joy, even in difficult situations. And you're like, you know what? My love for God has kind of grown distant. It's grown cold. We've grown apart. I am on the opposite side of the, the pickup. Um, I, don't, I don't really believe God can forgive what I've done. I don't know how to put it any other, I was trying to think of a phrase all week long, but I'll just put it this way. The greatest thing you can do today, the greatest thing you can do today, without a doubt, there's some good things you can do today. The greatest thing that you can do at some point today is to meet with God, to meet with God, to meet with God personally, confidently, and expectantly. You know what? That the God of the universe loves me and wants to meet with me, just you and him. So here's just another question is, uh, I mean, just when's the last time When's the last time you enjoyed meaningful time alone with God? Time that was so good, so rich, so fulfilling that you know what? You didn't want it to end. You, didn't, you weren't thinking about fantasy football. You weren't checking your text. You weren't thinking about what you've got to do Monday. That the fact is, you know what? This was so good. I just don't want it to end. When's the last time that happened? You're like, I'd like for that to happen. How does that happen? How does that happen? Let me give you three principles real quick. First one is this. You can meet with God personally. Now, I don't know your background. I don't know how you're, you're brought up. And depending on your background, we tend to err on one of two ways. All right? uh, one way is it says uh, almost, you know what? Hey, God is your homeboy. God is, God is the man upstairs. You can talk with him anytime. On the, other time, on the other side, sometimes people are like, you know what? You need the professionals to be with you to meet with God. You've got to do it on particular days at a particular time in a particular place. And both of those out of balance are wrong. But I want you to see Peter is personally interacting with his creator God. He's listening to him. He's talking to him. And what you got to understand is because of the person and the work of Jesus, you can't, listen, you can go to the mountain yourself. So many believers are content with like getting a selfie with Moses or Elijah. It's like, you know what? I heard this podcast or I watched this preacher or, and that's all really good. And it's very helpful and community is good and teachers are great, but you can't be content with just the selfie on the way up the mountain. All right. You can go to the mountain and meet with God yourself. The number one thing somebody taught me right after I became a Christian, then he began to disciple me is taught me how to pray and read the Bible. And now 30 some odd years later, that's the best way to start your day. Why? I mean, first of all, it deals with, it deals with pride. It deals with pride. I mean, these are Jesus's fishing buddies, right? I mean, John is even the one that's like, you know what? I'm the one Jesus loves. Okay. But here, what happens when they, see, when they see God Almighty, there's no backslapping. There's no, hey, he's my BFF. They fall to their face in terror. Why? Because what they're seeing is how do you stand before the God of the universe and strut? You cannot do that. And so it does, it does, it deals, it deals with our pride. I mean, this is the picture, this is the Christology we gotta have. A lot of times people get their Christology just out of the gospels and you gotta go, not just the gospels, you gotta go to Revelation and see, okay, this is a mighty, powerful, almighty God. 
This is not the Olin Mills Jesus. You know what I'm talking about, Olin Mills Jesus? You know, if you don't know that, way back in the day, you used to do church directories, and Olin Mills was the, if you worked for Olin Mills, I'm sorry, but if the Olin Mills was basically the, the church directory people. And you try to, it was, man, it was a pain. You'd try to get, line people up. They'd have to come to the church. You, you Typically, it was, if you had kids, man, it was like a nightmare because you're trying to get a little scooter, have his tie on right and his hair just perfect. And then you put on these little smiles and like, click. And it's like, man, that doesn't look anything like they actually are normally. And so this is not Olin Mills Jesus. Olin Mills Jesus is the one that you see a lot of times, a picture of him. I mean, he's like blonde haired, blue eyes. He looks like he just saw like a ghost or something. He's got that far away look. That's not the Jesus that the Bible actually describes. Certainly not the one right here. He's the all powerful God of the universe. And as I said earlier, evangelicanism now falls typically into two ditches, all right? Sometimes we, we don't understand there's the, both the eminence of God and the transcendence of God. The eminence of God is about his nearness and his kindness and his comfort and how gentle he can be and God is with me, okay? And that is, is that true? Certainly that is true, that is true. On the other hand is the transcendence of God, the otherness of God, that he's not like me at all, that he's holy and just and powerful and I should be in fear of him. Both of those are true, but one taken without the other gets way out of balance. And so it just deals with our pride. It deals with our pride. It, it deals with our stress, man. It deals with our stress. Kneeling before the God who is all powerful, calms the storm, all of that is amazing. So you can go personally do that. I'm going to challenge you to do that at the end. Let me give you a second one. Second one is this um, you can go to God confidently. You can go and actually meet with God confidently. Like, how is this confident? They don't look confident. But notice how Jesus changes them. God doesn't change. Our understanding of God does change. Because of the person work of Jesus, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he can say, listen, get up off your knees and don't have fear and have some confidence. Now, why is that? Verse 5 says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, why are they terrified at this point? They're terrified because the Bible, the Torah, particularly it said you can't see God and live. Okay, if you go Old Testament, even just think about Mount Sinai, all right? Mount Sinai, you, if you touch that mountain, you die. If your goat touched the mountain, that goat would die. And all of a sudden they're realizing we are seeing God, we're gonna die. And yet the voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now stay with me on this. If you are in Christ, his perfect life has been credited to your account. So when he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and you're in Christ, then he looks at you and says, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, and whom I am well pleased as well. Second Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. It says, this made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What does that mean? That means all that Jesus did, his perfect life, the fact that he obeyed the law perfectly, that he completed a 40-day fast, that he resisted the temptation of the devil, that he forgave all of his tormentors, that he performed miracles, all that stuff gets credited to your account if you're in Christ. If you've embraced Christ by faith, it's like not only are you forgiven, but all of that righteousness, boom, gets put to your account. So here's the idea. As a matter of fact, John would later write this. John would say in 1 John 4, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Now, propitiation, I know that's a big word, but you know, we don't want to make up words, but this is not a made-up word. This is a Bible word, propitiation. You find it here. You find it in Romans 3. find it in a number of places. Propitiation just simply means a payment that satisfies. Jesus, when he dies on the cross, not just for you, but instead of you, that is the payment that satisfies. Satisfies what? It satisfies the law of God, the justice of God, the wrath of God. And the part for you and I is, if he is satisfied with what Jesus has done and you are in Christ, he cannot be dissatisfied with you. That's what you've got to grasp. You can come to God confidently. Why? Because you know what? I'm in Christ God's satisfied with Christ, and so you know what? If he's satisfied with Christ and I'm in Christ, he cannot be dissatisfied with me. But like, yeah, but what happens? Sometimes I do some bad stuff. I mean, I mean, Bruce, I do some stuff, and I'm not, in sh- I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. And sometimes I hear God saying, you shouldn't do that. What about that? It's a great, 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 great question. And one of the key things for you is that if you're a Christ follower, one of the key things for you to understand is the difference between condemnation and conviction. Super important. If you don't get this down, you're just going to be like a roller coaster all of your Christian life, all right? There's a huge difference between conviction, which is from God, and condemnation, which is from the enemy, okay? So when you get, well, you're like, well, what's the difference between condemnation and conviction? Because bottom line is you are, you, you are going to fail. You are going to fail. And kind of the question is, you know, I don't know how God feels about me. I'm not sure how God feels about me. I'm not sure how God feels about me. And usually the way we answer that question is how good we're performing. You know what? I, I actually did meet with God or I helped a little old lady across the street or I, you know, I, I put a dollar in the plate or whatever. So God must be feeling pretty good about me. That's where you got to go back to the gospel. If he is satisfied with what Jesus has done and you're in Christ, then he cannot be dissatisfied with you. But what about when I fail? Peter's going to fail. We're going to see this more clearly in a couple weeks. Condemnation. Condemnation, that condemning is basically that voice that says, look at what you did. Look at how bad you are. Look at how poorly you performed. You will never change. This will never, you will never have victory over this. Stop trying cannot believe you would act this way. That is the voice of condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But you got to understand, God will also point out your sin. All right? God's not the old man upstairs saying, hey, you know what? Boys will be boys. He will point out our sin, but for entirely different purposes in an entirely different way. He will. He's not passive aggressive either. He's not like your sister or your mother-in-law that's like, you know what? Maybe this is kind of what I'm trying to talk. He's not passive aggressive. God is very clear, very clear. It's like if this way leads to despair, this way leads to death. Let's say you don't want to go down this road. This way, go this way. This way leads to joy. This way leads to life. This is where, this is where you want to go. And it's very specific, very, very specific. It's not general at all, but the main thing is When you fail, you've got to be able to understand God is like, you are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. You messed up. Let me help you up and let's do better next time and live the way that I love you. You're my son or my daughter. Live that way. Totally different. So you can go to him confidently, even if you've messed up. That's why we always say run to God in repentance, not from him in shame. All right. So here's the last one. I'm excited about telling you this expectantly expectantly. Do you see that last part? It says, listen to him, listen to him, listen to him. You're like, does God still speak? Does God still speak audibly? 
Well, if you just kind of like read the Bible, you could say he speaks audibly because God does speak. He speaks sometimes through circumstances that's very subjective. He speaks sometimes through people that is somewhat subjective, but he speaks through his word, which is completely objective. And so what I want to challenge you is like, how do, you, how do I hear from God through his word? Let me teach you an acronym real quick. This is going to be an acronym. The acronym is pretty simple. It's just the word here, all right? Here. Okay, when I get, when I get a Bible, how do I actually hear the voice of God speaking to me in my situation? And this is, this is something you can, you will never outgrow this. This will never be, well, I've learned that. This is like every day. And this is something I've done virtually every day since I've been a believer. Miss some, but... Every day, this is what you can do. So let me just take it uh, one at a time. And I'll probably use today's passage as an example. So letter H, highlight. Highlight. In other words, ask the question, what part of the passage that I read? Now, by the way, that, that means you've actually got to get your Bible or your phone out with your Bible app on there. All right. Get the U version. Get the ESV version. There's a bunch of stuff on your phone that's great Bible apps. All right. Great Bible apps. The first thing is just ask the question. What's highlighted to me? What jumps out at me? So you're looking at the passage today, there could be a number of things. Maybe it's the fact that, you know what, listen to him. It's like, you know what, listen to him. Listen to him. That jumps out at me. I love that part. I'm going to highlight that in my Bible. Okay, highlight it. What jumps out at you? What speaks to you? Second thing is examine. E, examine. Examine. Ask some questions about what's going on in the text. You don't have to go to seminary to know this. This is like every single person listening right now. You can do this. Examine it. Ask some simple questions. There's 20 questions you could ask. But here, you know, why was this written? Okay, why was this written? Um, what's the principle? What's the principle here that I need to kind of understand? So, for example, it might be the principle here is that, you know what? God is speaking and I can listen. I need to talk less and listen more. You might ask, is there a command in here for me to obey? Sometimes it's a command. Sometimes it's a, sometime it's a promise. Right? Sometimes it's a warning. Sometimes it's an example, both a good and a bad example. So examine it. Ask the questions. What did it mean then? What does it mean now? Here's another one. This is super important too. A is apply. Apply. Okay. I got to figure out what am I supposed to do with this material? It's not just information. God wants to change us. You're like, well, I don't just need information about, oh, this tells me to love my wife as Christ love the church. That's good information. I'm going to lock it away and bring it out sometime. No, that's not just for information. That's for change. It's to change me. And if you're a husband, you're like, okay, I got to ask the question, what does that look like in my home? What does that mean to me? What changes are necessary? All right, Jesus' half-brother, James, actually says that the word is like a mirror. So if, you know, when you look in the mirror, you, you look at it, and if you see something out of place, you're like, i got to fix my hair. you know, you got to put your makeup on right. Do whatever that is, but you don't look in a mirror and then go away and don't make any changes. All right? You look in a mirror, see what needs adjusting, and then you make the adjustments. And then the last one is this. This is very important, too. And R is respond. Just respond. It's a call to action. It's saying, by God's grace, by his power, and like today, let's take, take that one. I'm going to get alone with God this week. That might be it. 
you know what, I've never actually got alone and read my Bible and talked to him about it. Not alone, not for any length of time, all right? Uh, maybe it's the fact that, you know, there's some sin that needs to be repented of. And you know what, I learned that, you know what, because I'm in Christ, and, uh, you know what, and, and God is satisfied with what Jesus has done, that I can run to him and repent, and I can run and jump into his arms, and I don't have to act that way anymore. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's something simple. I'm going to serve. I'm going to get baptized, whatever that is. Uh, one, thing about, one thing about respond when you respond, try to think of at least one fairly short-term way to respond. In other words, don't think, oh, I read the text today and it's like, I need to be a better Christian. That's like has no measurable aspect to it at all. Think what is going to be different today or this week? This week, what's going to change? What is some specific action that I can do to actually change? So today what we're going to ask is, let's just at least make the principle of meeting with God something we do this week. So what I'm going to ask you to do is, again, before I kind of show you this prayer, and we'll post this. Don't try to write it down. We'll post it online uh, today, all right? So you can get it off there. So don't, I don't want you writing as much as listening because when we talk about this, you do need to kind of have a plan. It's like, okay, where do I start? If I'm going to get in the Word, where, do I, where, where am I going to start? Tons of places you can start, but just for this week, kind of as a church, let's all do this way. Why don't we just read, okay, there's another section about Peter. Read John 21 this week. All right, there's, you can probably break that up into three or four different segments. John 21, it's when Jesus restores Peter, Jesus is a resurrected Christ and he restores Peter. There's a ton of great lessons in there. All right, find a place, maybe it's a coffee shop, maybe it's a recliner, find a place where you can have about at least 15 minutes of quietness and you might be like a new parent and you're like, I, I don't have 15 minutes. You can find somewhere in there 15 minutes and uh, at least, and I'm gonna spend some time uh, with the Lord. So we're going to go to the mountain. Here's the prayer. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you that you invite me to have a joyful and intimate relationship with you. You've got to understand that this is, this is for your joy. This is for our flourishing. When he says, I want to meet with you, God is not lacking self-esteem or company. This is for your joy. This is that vacuum that's there. Even as a Christian, you're like, man, I'm trying to find it in accolades or achievements. And it's not there. It's not there. Where is it found? It's found in intimacy with God. Thank you that you invite me to have a joyful and intimate relationship with you. Thank you that this can be a reality through the power of the gospel. Remember, that's your confidence. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And here's the commitment. By your strength, I commit to meeting with you this week to hear from you, to hear from you. Just ask those simple things, just H-E-A-R, just I wanna hear from you. Do John 21. You're like, how many times should I meet with God this week? As much as you can, all right? Try to get at least maybe three. We're not going to be legalistic about it, but try at least three, maybe four times this week. Carve out 15 minutes early in the morning, late at night, whatever it is, and say, you know what? I'm going to read a passage. I'm going to do H-E-A-R, and I want to hear from God. And then you just do it in Jesus' name, amen. All right? So why don't you bow your heads and let me pray for us for this week. Father, we pray this prayer. This is the prayer. Thank you that you invite us to meet with you. For a lot of us, we've known this, but we've neglected it. And we've paid the price. The barrenness of our souls is evidence of that. The lack of passion, the lack of direction, that is the fruit of our lack of intimacy with you. Got to pray this week all over Western North Carolina and beyond where people are watching from, whether it be in Texas or wherever it is. God, I pray that this week would be that crossroads, that demarcation point 
Where it's like, you know what, before this week, the trajectory of my walk was going down, it was going dry, it was going distant. But after this week, I met with God and I can never go back to the way it was. After this week, you know what, it was filled with fruit, it was filled with comfort, it was filled with God's presence, and I don't ever wanna go back to where it was. So God, help us this week to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen.